Welcome to another episode of the Sound of the Genuine FTE's podcast on how religious leaders find meaning and purpose in their lives. I'm Dr. Patrick Reyes, and today we have a guest host in Nicole Lim, who you may remember from her own episode of the Sound of the Genuine, who's going to sit down with Jean Nanguala. They were able to have a live conversation at the Christian Leadership Forum this last summer in Atlanta. Jean is a singer, speaker, survivor, advocate, a creative producer. She has a passion for social justice, and I am so inspired by this conversation and grateful. So without further ado, take it away, Nicole. Hello, everybody. My name is Nicole Lim. I am the International Director of Freely and Hope and the author of Liberation is Here. And today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Jean Nangwala, and I've known her for over half of her life. In ministry contexts, we've met each other about 14 years ago and have grown together. I've grown in learning what it looks like to be a better advocate with survivors of sexual violence. And today, I want to speak with her as someone that I've mentored along the way so that we can learn of the many beautiful things and transformative things that she has challenged me with in this journey towards survivor advocacy. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So part of Jean's story is what helped me move into my vocation working as a survivor advocate. But I wanted to hear more of Jean's story even before we met and how that story has formed and shaped her before. So tell me more about where did you grow up? How did you grow up? And what was that like? I grew up in a small compound here. I don't know if they call it suburb or ghetto, but in Zambia, we call them compounds. So I grew up in a small compound called Linda in Lusaka. And growing up, everybody knew everyone. So if you got into trouble the auntie on the road can like discipline you because she's also kind of like your mom. So I grew up in a community like that where everyone was just so integrated. So I'm Bemba and my mom is Tonga. There's a certain passage of rights that women go through when you're young and the girls would dance in just like a skirt and like beads around them and they would dance out to just be like, oh yeah, I've come of age and things like that. And so when I was younger, it was so impressive to see how women were so free in their body to dance and everyone would celebrate them like on that stage when it's like the rites of passage. But then when you get home, like something different was happening. You weren't as celebrated as you were when you're on stage and dancing. It was your moment. And then later on, it was like, oh yeah, as a woman, just like, you know, you sit and you behave and you're quiet and you hide. So that was interesting for me to see that juxtaposition going on in my culture growing up. And so when I was younger, I always knew that I wanted to be powerful. I was like, that power that was happening when I was, when that woman was dancing, my mom being Christian, she didn't want us to have the right of passage like that. So I was like, oh, I'll never do that. But I want that same power. I want to stand in my authentic self, not completely naked, but it's like in my authenticity, like that's nakedness for me. It's like, I want to stand in that, but fully embrace myself and be happy and powerful and not be this hidden and silent woman. So growing up, I was trying to figure that out. So growing up in a community where you feel like you have to hide, especially your body, how did that shape your view of self moving into your teenage years? How did culture also influence the way that you shaped and formed your teenage years? I knew that women were powerful. 
in my couch like we all knew to be scared of mom <laughs> but when we're out there would speak of dad more because he's the man of the house anything that has to bring pride and all that stuff has to first start with my dad's name so it was very strange but then when i got sexually assaulted this body that was meant to be celebrated now became even more ugly or meant to be heated even more because i was taught like be silent and be pure there was a sense of like oh i've lost my purity because that's what they said they said if my body's not touched i'm this person that could be celebrated i always wanted women to be celebrated in that moment i felt oh now this chance or this opportunity to be myself is is gone like completely gone so my culture like contributed to me like finding myself in a sense of i i knew i could talk to my grandmother like all the women in my culture i could talk to them about like i'm struggling with this but again there was a disconnect because after that conversation i still felt lost and i still felt like something wrong like you really took away my one opportunity to be like i am the woman um so yeah, i don't know if that answers your question so when trauma happens right that completely shatters our sense of self what has your journey looked like in terms of reforming that mm-hmm. and reshaping it according to how you feel god sees you and you see yourself as opposed to how culture has shaped you hmm. i remember when the first incidents happened like two pastors come to my house in my family's house and they said oh yeah we heard what happened but it was very low key like oh we heard what happened uh let's pray and then they prayed and that they were gone and I was like how is that how god is like i thought you said you would never leave but it feels like in this moment you're just like yeah i just want you to know that i'm here then i'm out but then when i started singing when i'd sing gospel music I felt him closer. I knew for a fact that the God I praised doesn't see me any different after my trauma. Mm. And it's from this place of pain that he could transform and bring something out and actually a lesson for my family to learn from and for others to say like this is an issue and I know you tell us to be silent but silence isn't working anymore. And so I wanted to see more women who are speaking up. I remember wanting to speak up at church and be like, "Oh, I have a testimony to say." And somebody being like, "Oh, we know you're going to talk about rape." No. And they told me that and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. We're going to talk about this even more now cuz now I see that you're uncomfortable having conversations that are actually affecting women and I think that's not what God wants for me. and i think that's not what god wants for his society and his people and i started speaking on it and my mom this was like the turning point for me that i knew that tells of a black girl needed to happen like conversations around culture conversations around coming of age conversations around rape sex all that needed to happen and my mom said if you hadn't spoken up you wouldn't have known like she told me i stopped having sex with your dad for a while because i thought 
a man like you harmed my daughter in that way and your dad in that moment became the perpetrator like I saw him as that and it was hard for me to have those conversations because no one was having those conversations it was hard for parents who've had kids who've gone through sexual violence even have conversations like that and I remember just like talking to her and even seeing how their marriage then transformed after she became more open to me and how they interacted at the house like things were different and I was like oh this was also important for them as a couple this is important for me to continue singing because this is how I connect to God because at first I had stopped because it felt like I can't communicate with you if you are only present to pure girls and I'm not pure anymore because you say that if my body has been touched it's contaminated so I guess I don't have to talk to you So I knew hard conversations were important for my relationship with God, but also important for my community to continue living a healthy life or my family having a healthy life or healthy relationships. And this is why it's so important to ensure that the theology that we live into is transformative in a way that heals and brings life because situations of trauma affect everyone in the system, not just the person. It affected your mom, it affected her relationships, it affects the community. And you said silence is not working anymore, which means it's affecting so many other little girls as well that have been silenced from the trauma of oppression and sexual violence. And seeing that in you, you were only 13, 14 years old when you were just starting (laughs) to, to voice your story and wanting to do more publicly within church spaces, through your music, through community programs to provide sexual violence prevention education for other girls. That's what inspired me to partner in your vocation, actually. So I like I always say I found my vocation or the vocation found me. You found me. I don't even know why I spoke to you that day. No, yeah, we weren't friends. Yeah, we were not. And you had not talked to me that entire week that we were together. But also because you were not talking to me, I was determined. I was like, this is the one, the the angry, the sassy, the closed up girl. And this is how it is, right? In a lot of mentoring relationships where you like see the younger version of yourself in some way. And you also know why they're behaving or yeah, their, their personality is manifesting a certain way. Because a lot of it is to hide that authentic, powerful self because culture tells you that you can't. So I saw that in you just as much as I saw that in me, which is why I was like, okay, we're going to be, one day we're going to be friends. <laughs> 14 years later, we're still here. But anyway, so when you first told me that story, I think what I was so enamored by was the fact that you told me with a solution. You weren't telling me for pity. You weren't telling me just to be like, whatever, this happened. But you were telling me with a solution of wanting to speak up and to raise your voice above the silence so that you can provide new theology, new frameworks, new ways of being and living for girls to reclaim their power. How has that journey of transformation looked like for you moving from that culture of silence to then finally speaking up in like to the woman you are today? Oh, that's interesting. I think something that I discovered through this journey of speaking up, for me, speaking up is powerful. Like, it it makes me feel 
seen and heard and like ready to heal and I'm like okay this is one block that I pass and then next thing we're going to talk about let's talk about PTSD like you face trauma and you struggle with PTSD how does that look like that for me is therapeutic and I feel like it's my calling to like continue speaking on issues that women in communities that silence them However, I discovered that in the same cultures, there are different ways that women still express themselves that are loud enough, but people do not pay attention. And this is through their clothes or how they dress, their fashion, their hair. Being a black woman, like how we present ourselves with like our hair tells a whole new story and something like that. And I remember just feeling okay, I do life from a perspective of like a survivor. How would it look like if I stepped out and listened to another survivor and say, oh, what are you doing to help you in your healing process? Because I would tell you from a perspective of a Zambian woman, a perspective of a Linda girl who was sexually assaulted a couple of times, wow, you would come from a whole different country. You have a whole different culture. So speaking up for you, like having your voice heard looks different for you. And how can we both bring our different perspectives in the same place and hope that a girl that looks like you can find herself? And so my journey to that was, I'm going to open Tales of a Black Girl. And in Tales of a Black Girl, we're going to talk about all these issues. We're going to talk about certain phrases I grew up hearing thinking they were normal, but knowing that they actually contributed to how I felt less of a person. Talking about how we've actually normalized abuse. We've normalized, you know, sexual jokes. We've normalized sexual harassment in our communities. Like, let's talk about that. If you're going to start feeling uncomfortable and look at yourself and say, oh, I, I mean, I touch on how when she passes in the office. Like, if that makes you think twice, that's the whole point. I want you to think twice about your actions because there was lack of intentionality around women that have gone through abuse. That's why they fell in the crack or they stopped speaking up or no one wants to share. Or somebody told them, like I was told, you're about to talk about rape. No, because actually maybe you're uncomfortable because you know what? You're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I had to come to a place to understand that my voice is different. There'll be a few people that will relate to me and that's fine. And then the next person will speak and there'll be girls like her that people will relate to her. And at least I would do my part for Tales of a Black Girl. I would do my part. So opening Tales of a Black Girl was an opportunity to say, I need to play my part for somebody else to relate and move forward. And I was like, this is an important conversation that's not happening in church. I know for a fact, growing up, everything that was said in church, I believed. Mm. And I stood by it because my faith was important. So I wished somebody spoke about sexual violence in church because I would have for sure known that I know there's someone who hold my hand and someone who understands how it feels. I would have believed that. And so because I didn't see that person, I was ready to say, I know you're going to feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to be that person. So in the moment, as you are shaking and be like, why is she talking about this? We don't talk about this in church. 
I'm hoping that two years down the line, this is a, a normal conversation for you. I'm hoping two years, three years down the line, you have curriculums that help you in your church to foster conversations that are hard. And it could could be anything that's not sexual violence. There is something like these dynamics of power that still exist right now that continue to oppress a certain group of people, whether it's women, whether it's the LGBT community, like there is something going on in your church that needs hard conversations. I was like, yeah, I want to write curriculums around that. I want people to have these conversations. And I know they're not going to like me the first time. It's fine. Don't like me. But you will like the next person that comes after me because now you understand. You're aware. And because of lack of knowledge, that's why we act the way we act. That's why ignorance continues to go on. That's my journey. My journey is that of learning so that I could teach and somebody else will be comfortable enough to use their voice as well and learn and teach and that way it's like a whole movement and we continue and we could hopefully when I have a child my child will leave in a better better church or better community. Are you looking for resources to help you find meaning and purpose in your lives? Head on over to ftleaders.org and check out our courses and resources page. We have everything from high-impact learning experiences that you can sign up for next year, as well as some great downloads to help you find meaning and purpose. So the power of education undoes ignorance that exists in a lot of our communities and cultures. But I think also the power of your story and the power of your lived experiences informs us of better solutions for how we could work together to build this more free and just world for other girls and people at the margins. What is Tales of a Black Girl? And how does Tales of a Black Girl hope to pursue this calling and mission as it grows? So Tales of a Black Girl is a platform where I talk about hard conversations from a Zambian perspective and just a perspective of a black woman. It's just a platform of, I know this is something that you could not talk about with anyone, but hey, I am here. I'm that person who is open to say, let's talk about it. Like, let's have that conversation. And I hope somebody relates and learns from it. First started as a way to talk to my baby sister. I live in the States. Wow, she's back home in Zambia, so we don't talk as much. But there's also this dynamic where your older sister, you have to respect your older sister a certain way. You can't talk to your older sister about about sex, about relationships. You can't do that because you have to have your good girl pants on like the whole time around her. And I remember falling into traps like growing up where older men, let, let me say this, Growing up, everyone aspired for marriage, and I think marriage is beautiful. But they use the word of, you should act right like this so that you can get married. You should do this so that you can get married. Don't do your hair like that. Don't dress like that. Like the thought of marriage was used as a way to keep you in a box. And young men knew that. And older men knew that too. And I remember being just a 16-year-old and meeting an older man. I mean, he was old for a 16-year-old, but now it's like, it's 
a 32 year old coming to a 16 year old and saying be my girlfriend because i have my stuff together and i will marry you like we'll date for four months and we'll get married and i was like oh yeah 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 i believe that like cool and how that turned into an abusive relationship but i didn't know better i was like oh i'm gonna be the ideal woman and knowing that I was, you know, the girl who wasn't pure, I was like, oh, if I end up being married, this will be great. This will be like proof that even unpure girls, in quotations, can achieve this big thing. I saw how it really harmed me at the age of 16. And my cry for help was, oh my God, my baby sister is going to be, is 15 years old now. She's, she's a teenager now. She's going to be approached by people like that. They're going to tell her about all these prospects of like marriage or tell her that she's not good enough for this. Or somebody might sexually harass her and she would not know what to do. And I can't have that because that happened to me and I can't see that happen again. And so it started off as... I will record these videos. You will watch them on YouTube. Because, <laughs> hey, you're going to watch because you're supporting your older sister. But at the end of the day, I hope you get the message. And I hope you see that you're more than that. And when you do get married, when you're older, like it'll happen on your terms. You will not end up in this unhealthy, sexually abusive relationships at a young age because of this notion and so it started off like that and then I saw that I was not the only one who was having a hard time expressing themselves who was having a hard time having difficult conversations with family who was struggling with PTSD from trauma who was struggling with how do I thrive after facing trauma for so long? How do I look at myself and say, I am Jean Nangwala first before I say, oh, I'm a sexual violence survivor? How do I get there? And having those conversations was also like transformative. I found my healing because then I found my voice and I understood what happened to me was not my fault. And it put a lot of things into perspective. And I wanted that for women, for people who've gone through trauma. I wanted that for them. And I wanted that for their siblings and their kids. My baby sister still says I embarrass her, but that's okay. She's 18 now. She's surviving. So it's important to me to see that other young girls, especially who've grown up in poor areas, that they can see that they have more options than just when you finish high school, if you get married and become a mother, then that's your way out of poverty. There's more for you. Yeah. I highly recommend Tales of a Black Girl for anyone in their teen years, but even young adult years. I think these are really important conversations, especially for African, but also first-gen, second-gen immigrants. Yeah who are wrestling with reconciling the culture of their parents and the culture that they want to build. Oh, yeah, that's that's been an interesting journey this year. It's like I had to learn not just to use my voice when talking about issues that affected me, but to use my voice in, you know, like redefining myself, to use my voice in like standing up in a place where as an immigrant, people see you differently or they already have like 
perceptions of you. So like being able to say, I'm done with the African people stereotype. So I would tell you who I am and you will get it from me. I would let you know who I am and you will talk to me with respect and you will understand me. Redefining yourself or having a voice does not just end with healing from trauma. I want a healthy life and so I'm not going to have microaggressions like give me an un- unhealthy life while I am working hard to heal from trauma. I ain't got time. Those are too many things going on at the same time. I just cannot. Tales of a Black Girl also touches on issues like growing into yourself in whatever space you are because imposter syndrome will be there and it will follow you how do we continue to still remember that yes i'm zambian in a different culture but i can still stand authentically myself learn from the people around me but not leave myself leave my culture to conform to a whole different like culture so that i'm accepted there's beauty in just your unique culture that you bring to the space absolutely i think we want to be careful to not demonize the cultures that we came from because they formed us in so many powerful and beautiful ways and even though yes there's things that we want to change especially as it relates to patriarchy, especially as it relates to sexual violence and how women view themselves. There are actually hidden gifts within each of our cultures that I think can give us a little bit of a solution or a ticket to what that future could look like. When you first started your story, you actually began with a story of cultural dance and how that, yeah, empowered you. So tell me more about how that experience still forms you today and what you hope to do with Tales of a Black Girl. Oh yeah, they're the same experience like dance coming into yourself, like expressing that through music. I still do that. I would dance everywhere and everywhere and I'm embarrassing, but it's okay. I am happy about it because it just keeps me connected to my people, my people, or the people of the water. That's what Bemba people are known for, but we're also known for dance. And that's so important, important for us. Like even like our traditional ceremony that happens like in August, all that is all about dance and it's important for me. But also learning about my history and my people, I actually found out that it was women that were in power for a very long time. Most chiefs were women, and there was a sense of respect that was given to them. And yes, of course, patriarchy came and did its thing. But women have always been powerful in my culture. So for me, it was like, wow, these women carry a lot of knowledge. The women were the ones that were teaching you stuff. You sit around the fire. They're the one telling you stories while they teach you how to cook. There's so much community that happens on like collective wisdom that happens around just like sitting in my culture that to date, I feel like if people want to get to know me, like have food there and let's sit around and I will tell you all about my life. The passage of knowledge happened through that or church and things like that. That's something that I also want to continue. It's like when people are talking about conversations, it's like we've always had conversations and I think it's important that we continue having conversations. It's just that now we have an opportunity to put it out there because our history is through oral message. So it's like now YouTube that that's like your way of also sharing your history so conversations are just a part of my culture that I want to continue 
Mm, that's beautiful because it's the sharing of knowledge through dance, through song, through faith as well that you grow up with. And now you're taking that same tradition and channeling it into a YouTube channel through performance, through incorporating new theologies that are actually more liberating and freeing for women to really live into their authentic self. That's our point. So what would you say to another woman who might feel like they are on that journey as well of living into their authentic self? Perhaps they've experienced trauma of sexual violence as well. What would you say to them as they're embarking on this journey? Something I had to learn for myself was it's okay when you get triggered and it feels like, wow, I've put in so much work. Why do I feel like crying again? You don't have to carry the whole world on your shoulder. And it might feel like that when you're the first person to start something or when you're starting that particular initiative because it's yours and you're spearheading it. At one point, it'll feel so heavy. And then you feel like you have to carry it all by yourself. You shouldn't. You actually shouldn't. It's fine to have moments to say, this part of me, especially with sexual violence, there's a part where it's like, yeah, this part of me is healed and I can talk about this, but it's still your story. And the story has stages. It's continuous. It goes on and on. So it's fine to say this part is healed and I can talk about this, but this part, I'm not ready yet. When I'm there, I'll talk about it because I feel like when I first started speaking up um, against sexual violence, I felt that I needed to be the person everywhere whenever you need it. I, I needed to be there. I needed to talk about all aspects of it, the healing process, the triggers, all that stuff. And I forgot that I was the person who went through that. I'm that person who experienced that pain. And I'm that person who is healing and trying and getting to a place where they're thriving. Like, I'm that person, so I cannot separate myself. And it's okay for moments where I'm not okay. And it's okay for moments where I'm like, this is like the best I could tell you right now. And whoa, I hope you can go get yourself mentors to walk alongside you. Like, we should always have community because you cannot do it all by yourself. You should have people that can stand with you when you're not feeling well you should have people that pour into you when you're ready to stand and speak up you should have people as well who said yeah you've played your part and the next person is gonna carry it on and that's fine community of support community of belonging community of healing for those of us folks like me who are hoping and trying to be that community of support for survivors of sexual violence faith leaders professors friends of survivors what do you want us to know you will never fully understand the person's experience and that's okay I found people where they're like, oh, yeah, I have worked with survivors for years. I know how this feels. I'm like, ah, <laughs> excuse me? You, you do? You would never fully understand. And that is also unfair on yourself to put such pressure on yourself to be like, I've been in this space and I work with a survivor. So I'm the best person to continue working with them. Sometimes you might cause more harm doing that. And it's okay to separate yourself and say, look, secondary PTSD is real. 
advocates, allies, as they are working with survivors, can forget themselves because they're protecting and taking care of the survivor. And when you do that, how do you then pour into the survivor health or love or support when you've run dry? And so for me, it's like important for allies and advocates to take care of themselves as well. And it's important if you have a platform where they can tell the story, they can share, they can lead, give it to them. You don't have to be their spokesperson. I really do not like when people say, I'm the voice of the voiceless. I don't understand how you're the voice of the voiceless. Because if they're voiceless, you know, they'll find a way to communicate. They'll write. I feel, strongly feel, everyone has a voice. And just because they were not ready does not make you their mouthpiece. But it was okay that you held that candle for them in that moment. And when it's time that they're ready, pass it over. And it's okay to say, okay, my journey is done with you. Let me move on and do something else or walk with another survivor because there's need out there. And so for advocates, really, take care of yourself. You can only give out the best when you give yourself the best. If not, you will harm the people you are working with. And that's even more detrimental to just yourself and the community you're serving. Thank you for the honor of walking with you all of these years, 14 years of learning and growing together to better advocate not only for ourselves, but for our larger community. Tales of a Black Girl on YouTube, talesofblackgirl.com is the short link. Thank you for having me. And how else can we support the work that you're doing? Well, if you need somebody to write a curriculum for you, I'm here. Definitely reach me on jitangola.com. Like, I'm there. I will write that curriculum. You want facilitation? I am there. Sometimes I'll say no because I also need to take care of myself. But when I'm good, I got you. And my songs, my songs are out on all social platforms, actually. I still can't get over the fact that I have a song. My song is called Sony, which means shy. And then it just talks about how this girl found her authentic self in, like, living, living has, you know, like, truly herself through dance and music. My late grandmother used to love it when I would sing Losing her just reminded me of what joy people bring in their own talents and their own authenticity. And for me, that's dance and music. And so that song was a start to say, I'm going to do music and I'm going to take it seriously from now on. And this is the first one to remind myself that there's joy in who I am. I want to thank our guest host, Nicole Lim, for hosting this conversation with their friend, Jean Nguala. I want to thank you, the listener, for spending some time with us here on The Sound of the Genuine. And if you enjoyed this conversation, 
do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. It helps put this show into the world. I want to thank my team, our executive producer, Elsie Barnhart and Heather Wallace. And because this is a special episode and Gene is a performer, we've given Sir Yale Beats the week off and we are going to listen to some of Gene's music. We'll see you next time on Sound of the Genuine. Turned into building blocks, she knows her place in the world.